Welcome to the Abstract Doctors Podcast Special, the Abstract Veterans Series. Today, Char Gatlin and Dr. Ron Seal speak with Dr. David Sifu, Limbic and Sensi Project Director and Principal Investigator. For more information, please visit limbic-cenc.org. Visit the Abstract Doctors for information and upcoming podcasts. The Abstract Doctors Podcast. The doctors are in. Open up your mind and say ah. On this uh, Abstract Veterans podcast, we are pleased to have the principal investigator of the Olympic Sensi uh, grant, Dr. David Seafew, with us to talk about this uh, uh, record setting uh, um, research grant and uh, the type of research that are being done for veterans who have uh, mild traumatic brain injury. Uh, Dr. Seafew, why don't you tell us a little bit about, uh, about this uh, grant award? Uh, thanks, Ron. Thanks, Char. It's, uh, it's a privilege and a pleasure to be on the podcast with you all. And uh, I'll, I'll try to explain in, in as few words as possible what, what is truly a monumental uh, effort and program uh, across the nation. And I'm uh, privileged to, to be leading an amazing team of uh, researchers, clinicians, uh, consumers, and knowledge translators. So uh, the, the uh, back around 2011 and 12, uh, uh, the uh, Obama administration uh, put forth a, a national research action plan to address the challenges with psychological health and traumatic brain injury that were occurring as a result of uh, uh, Operation Enduring Freedom and Operation Iraqi Freedom, so the wars in the Gulf, and the challenges that service members and then veterans were having with persistence of difficulties after combat exposures that included traumatic brain injury, mental health issues, chronic pain, and other problems. As a result of that legislation, the, the NRAP, or National Research Action Plan, uh, the military, the Department of Defense, and, and then the Department of Veterans Affairs got together and decided they were going to release some research funding to really better understand these long-term challenges that people were having in combat. And that was put together in a, in a, 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 a research grant, and it was, it was called the Chronic Effects of Neurotrauma Consortium, or SENSI. And uh, I was privileged to, be, to lead a team, a nationwide team, uh, that in 2013, October of 2013, began a, a you know, series of studies. And the, the studies, the goal was to really bring together the best and brightest of researchers across the country in the VA and the military and the universities and academia to really understand this problem. And, and that started in 2013. It's continuing now. It's continuing to at least 2024. We got re-upped or we got refunded in, uh, in 2019, 2020, and we're renamed the Long-Term Impact of Military Relevant Brain Injury Consortium, Limbic. So now we're at Limbic Sensi. And we continue to be a group of more than 70 researchers uh, that have, that have, uh, that have, that who call their homes in more than 21 states and commonwealths. And, and what we're doing is through a series of research projects, understanding what happens when, when men and women in the military are exposed to, 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 to being in combat. And we're looking at everything from just being in combat, just the fact that you're deployed. We're looking at the exposure to blasts. We're looking at exposure to uh, trauma other than blast. We're looking at some of the psychological stressors, dietary issues, environmental issues. So we're looking at that. And how are we doing that, you might ask? 
We're doing that through a series of what are called prospective studies, meaning we recruit service members and veterans and do evaluations over time. And hopefully we do it longitudinally over many, many months, years, or hopefully their lifetime. And we're doing several studies in that space. And then the other area is called retrospective. Some people uh, label it big data. So there are many, there are nine large administrative data sets that the military and the VA have that, that look at everything from social security information to medical issues, to employment issues, to healthcare utilization. And we have access to all those data sets and have actually combined them into a massive data set of more than 2.5 unique or individual veterans and service members. And we're able to track and identify how they're doing um, through those data sets without necessarily bringing them in for testing. So we combine those two large areas of retrospective and prospective research to understand what's happening. And then I'll just finish off by saying, as part of that process, we don't just collect data and recruit people and pay researchers, but, but the end game is, what are we finding? What are we seeing? What are we understanding more of? And our job is then to take that and translate it both into scientific knowledge by publishing things and giving scientific presentations, but more importantly, through our Knowledge Translation Center into useful information so that clinicians who take care of people with these difficulties uh, and the end users themselves, the service member and veterans who are having some of these exposures and some of these challenges, so they can do better, they can better understand it, they can know what their future is about, they can understand what kind of care they should be getting and what they should be expecting. So that's, in a somewhat brief uh, summary, that's the overarching uh, um, uh, overview of what the Limbic Sensi project is. That's a great, it's a great study. It was interesting to be around it for all of these years and see it transform from the past here into what it's what it's doing now. But you touched on something that I think a lot of veterans would like to would like to know. Uh, a lot of researchers as well. We're all in this together to to help people with TBI, both in the military setting and the civilian setting as well. With respect to the Limbic and CNC study, or CNC before Limbic, if you will, have you experienced any challenges and or successes between the two with respect to recruitment and retention? Uh, loosely translated, what have you seen not work and what have you seen work? That's a, that's a great question, Char. And actually, without sucking up to my co-host too much, one of the reasons that we've been able to both be successful, but also to pivot when we weren't successful, is that early on, we had a, a great idea to say, let's have a group of consumers and, and people that are in the mix. You know, people that have experienced combat, people that are taking care of people in combat, family members, etc. And let's have that group give us some advice and hopefully talk, you know, give us straight talk and tell us when we're really just blowing smoke and when we're doing a good job and, and, and just importantly act as a resource. So one of the areas that you're very familiar with because you lead our consumer advisory group is early on just figuring out how to bridge the VA and the DOD worlds because the recruitment needs and the, you know, the ways of going about how to do the testing and how to get people to come back for, you know, for evaluations and how to, you know, how to just reimburse people were, were very challenging. I mean, each of, each of them separately are challenging, just doing research and stuff. So one of the areas has been figuring out how to do things in a standardized way across military sites and military treatment facilities and VA sites. And, you know, that we had challenges, everything from getting, you know, institutional reviews or permission to do this, what's called IRBs and setting up protocols that could be done at both sites 
and finding, hiring the right personnel and then training them. You know, initially we only had four sites for our big study. Now we have 11 testing sites and 17 recruitment. So each of those have to be standardized. That's one. The second big area has been just getting enough people to understand the problem the right way because you can't do research on one person adequately. You know, we can't get two and a half million people like we have for our big data studies, but we need thousands of people. And then we need to follow them and, and uh, reassess them over time. So that's been a challenge, as, as both of you are very aware of, because you both are part of our, our teams, is how do we get people at these 11 sites to want to come in and give us a day of their life or a day and a half of their life and then commit to, for the for the you know for the foreseeable future every year getting reevaluated and in the interim pieces answering the phone to make sure we've got your right address and stuff um, and then the last one is um, just as we've had a challenge getting all these uh, sites together and getting all these participants who are you know uh, nobly agreeing to be part of our research we've also uh, we've also had the challenge of having 70 plus researchers who want to work together and who want to make sure they're doing things in a similar way and they're they're collaborating because we're better when we work together. We've got some terrific researchers across our program. I'm so proud of them, but we are off the hook when we're working together. All right. And because of a lot of great factors and picking the best people and a lot of charm and a lot of, you know, moving the tuna fish around to get the cats to chase after it, we've been able to really get people who are on calls on a weekly basis and who are writing papers together and presenting and are listening to service members and veterans when they tell us we got to do things differently or we need to fix our research or do research a certain area. And then most importantly, I guess, we have a government steering committee that's kind of been really put the hammer down and said, hey, it's great you're such important people and you're so successful, but we want more. We want you to take it to the next level and really deliver the goods. And so those have been the challenges. And we've been, again, fortunate to be able to meet most of those challenges. We've had hard days and weeks and some centers that didn't do well and some people that didn't want to play nice in the sandbox. But overall, we've just been able to move the rock further and further along. Yeah, it's quite refreshing to hear your, your focus on the individual versus the collective when it comes to recruitment of the veteran population. You know, veterans come in all different shapes and sizes, just like everyone else. Uh, they have different predilections, different viewpoints on things. You know, one of the things that I think you, you mentioned it earlier was blast related. A lot of times in the world of TBI, you have blast and impact simultaneously. And I would be hard pressed, and this is just coming off the cuff, to think that good majority of those could be in tandem i.e. you're inside a vehicle, you hit the vehicle, i.e. you're outside the vehicle, there's the blast, you hit a wall, you know, looking at that. Um, and I don't even really have this data in front of you, but, but are there any sort of ideas or takeaways from looking at blast versus impact versus looking at them in tandem? And then as you spoke about the, the countless exposures that go with it, not to mention also the mental, the emotional, the physical conditioning of the individual, age, education, all of these other determinants of health that factor into sort of the prognosis of the injury, because as we all know, TBI rarely manifests itself in, in the same way twice, depending on all of those other factors. Would you care to comment on that? Yeah, well, I mean, there's a lot to unpack there. And that, yeah. that essentially is the essence of why such a, you know, a diverse study across so many different sites with so many thousands of folks had to get done. I mean, first of all, you know, while in some people's case, maybe an exception, the brain's a fairly sophisticated thing. 
it, you know, it isn't a simple organ, not, not that the kidneys are easy, but you know, their functions are somewhat limited. We know kind of know how the kidney works and we can, we have an artificial kidney. All right. And while we're getting closer to an artificial intelligence, we're really not just but scratching the surface. So it's a tough organ to study and animal models, particularly rodent models, just don't do it justice, you know? And so we really have to study it in people that are people not, you know, they're not, they're not rodents, they're not pigs, et cetera. So it's really important. It's number one. Number two is the factors in combat are so complex. You know, they're complex in the civilian sector and in sports too, but not, not, not so much as in the military, right? There's what you bring in to the, the, into, into military. People that come in are diverse and have different exposures to their brain and their psyche, right? That's number one. You know, n- number two is, you know, they have impacts and calm blasts from garrison, from just training to be in the military, from falling out of things and from getting exposure to artillery. There's that piece. Then when they're in the military, when they're in the battlefield, I should say, they're getting exposed to psychological stressors, physiologic. They might not sleep well. It might not be eating perfectly. Their activity levels change. Then, as you say, Char, and and I know, Ron, you would support that, well, the brain is getting impacted by a blast, maybe. It may have something fall on it. It may move back and forth really fast. Those are three different etiologies or causes of brain injury right there alone. And we're kind of trying to study these individually as well as as a group. Then you put on top of that post-traumatic stress or acute stress uh, challenges, uh, uh, potentially substance use issues, potentially depression, anxiety. So the answer is we don't know yet how to differentiate or pull apart each of those things. All right. What, what we one of the reasons we want to get so many folks into our studies and even have this is important, even have 20 percent of the people in our studies were in combat, but never had a blast or brain injury exposure. Those are called controls. Right. So we've got that group. That group is even that group can have challenges. But that one, at least we can say, well, the brain is good physically. It may have psychological stressors, of course may have sleep deprivation, may have, you know, but those folks don't have any lifetime, even when they were in high school kind of injuries. We've got that group. Then we do try to pull apart, did people have any blast exposures during garrison or artillery exposures or or in combat? Then we do try to figure out using a very detailed and standardized approach at each site that one of my partners, Bill Walker, actually uh, developed and published on is, you know, really assessing the t- brain injury after the fact, because we don't have eyewitnesses that are monitored with a pressure gauge and a blast meter and, you know, and watching them, them, them fall or something hit them. So we've got to recreate that to some extent. We do have records. We review those too. So, you know, the answers are we're starting to scratch the surface. And I'm hoping some of my partners at future podcasts, when they talk about things like biomarkers or phys- electrophysiologic measures, or even some imaging measures, we'll be able to say where well, we're trying to find ways of teasing these apart. The last thing I'll say is to date, as of this day in 2021, um, the best research says that blast-related injuries to the brain in isolation have the same long-term effects as trauma-related, so just a blow to the head or acceleration, deacceleration level. So those three common factors, just someone hitting your head, your head moving back really uh, backward and forth really fast, or just the blast wave causing a, a range of issues. To date, we're not seeing differences 
in functional outcomes, fit, symptom outcomes. That doesn't mean we're not seeing differences on imaging or on biomarkers, which you'll hear about in the future, but in terms of the you know, real deal, how do I do, doc? You know, what's my future like? You know, the answer is the research to date doesn't show a difference. And that's not just Dave Seafew's analysis. Uh, in, in July of 2021, a clinical practice guideline came out that's on, that's on the internet. If you Google VA DOD mild TBI clinical practice guideline, you'll see a summary of the BLAST and other etiology or cause data. And really to date, we don't see a difference. And that might be hopeful. That might be great. So a lot of things will work. Or it might be, man, we should give CFU even more research money because he's got to study this longer. I'm, I'm being facetious, of course. But, but so, you know, so, so that's where we sit as of this uh, moment, uh, Char. And I know that I think Dr. Seal wanted to grill me on something, ask me a question. Well, I had two questions for you. You've mentioned that this is a tremendous uh, national effort. Um, where are some of these uh, veteran and uh, military sites that are uh, key participants uh, in this grant? Yeah, I, 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 at the risk of leaving a couple of my esteemed colleagues off, I'm going to at least start off by saying if you go to www.limbicsensi.org, limbic-sensi.org, you will see a map that has all of our current as well as prior research and research sites on it. So, you know, nothing but love to all the sites, right? Uh, you know, and what, what, and it also, if you look at that map, you'll see that we've really tried to both purposefully, but also just the way it happened, Charlie, make sure that we were getting as much geographic diversity as possible, as well as research diversity. So not just different states, but you know, some cities, some a little more rural or, or suburban, you know, different uh, 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 um, uh, races, certainly genders, we're looking to really make sure that we're getting diverse. So, so just, you know, obviously I'm most proud of my site, which is, uh, you know, which is all sites, but, but it's in Richmond at the Richmond VA, as well as a Virginia Commonwealth University, we're kind of the lead site. We've got another amazing site up in Bethesda at the Uniformed Services uh, University, USU. Uh, that, that's phenomenal. We have a terrific site up in Boston at the Boston VA that's linked in with Boston University. Uh, we have one of our big data sites at, uh, at University of Utah and the Salt Lake City VA. Our retrospective or big data team is led from the San Francisco VA and University of California, San Francisco, as well as Palo Alto and VA and Stanford. Uh, the folks at Utah are also very involved in that. And again, we have many, many other superstars in Houston, in San Antonio, Minneapolis. Um, uh, we, 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 they're really literally across the globe. Uh, we've got a, 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 a We've got a, a, a consultant that's in Honolulu, Hawaii, and, and uh, he, not only is he awesome, but I really, really want to go there for one of our big meetings. Uh, we have a superstar team out in Portland, Oregon, at, uh, uh, at, uh, as part of the Oregon Health uh, Sciences University. So, so Dr. Seal, they're just everywhere. Um, and, you know, some of them have even moved. We've been around so long now that some have transitioned to one or two other different sites. And, you know, we, we think that's just amazing. Uh, as in terms of keep spreading the love and spreading what we do. And was there a follow? My other question for now, yeah, my other question for you is uh, is um, obviously you're doing a lot of basic science, clinical research. There are there 
this is obviously being funded because there are knowledge gaps in what we know and how we can best serve veterans. What, uh, what study topics or areas are you most uh, optimistic or excited about? Yeah, you know, I, you know, I, I, I'm going to try not show my bias because I represent the entire team. You know, we've we've had cutting edge, amazing findings in neuroimaging, uh, so X-rays of the brain, MRIs, and fluid biomarkers. So checking your blood and your saliva for chemicals to to see how you're recovering. We've had we've found things uh, that support that having more combat related concussions is going to give you more evidence of abnormalities in those in those areas. So we are able to identify that having, you know, multiple uh, uh, combat related concussions is showing up in the body and, and the body seems to be under some stresses because of that. Doesn't mean long term that's an, that's going to affect you, but we're seeing that that could be the seed of that. All right. Um, but my bias is what are we seeing in in everyday functioning in people, all right? You know, are people able to, you know, go back to their lives? Are they very symptomatic? And so the the answer is a two-sided coin. One of them is more than two-thirds of the people that we've enrolled in our prospective or ongoing study, so more than two-thirds, more than 65%, are able to return to gainful employment and productivity. So they're able to generate funding for themselves, they've got a purpose, they feel part of some uh, productive activity. All right. And that's cool. That, that, you know, that to me, you know, the goal is always to get people back to what they want to be doing, whether that's being still in the military or being, you know, a a house, uh, you know, someone who runs a household or being a volunteer or working. So that's, we've been able to see that. All right. But we're also seeing that mo- many of those people are still having some persistent difficulties from their combat exposure. So even with those difficulties, 65% are working, but the flip of that is 35% of these folks, and, and by and large, all of these folks could be working, meaning their age and their, their you know where they are in their lives, but that means about a third of them aren't back to something productive because in general, because they're so overwhelmed with their symptom burden. So to me, that's a failure. Like I want to get, we need to get that number better. And, you know, we're starting to see that things that predict that or, or things that if we fix them, they could go back to work. That's the flip of it. Predicting bad outcome is not my job. I want to figure out how do I turn people from not doing well to doing well. The things that seem to be really important are pain. All right, mostly headache pain, but just pain of any type. So pain management, that's that's a kind of a duh thing, but it's important. The other thing is balance. All right. Imbalance, instability, fear of falling, you know, uh, you know, not, you know, you're not necessarily falling all the time, but you feel a little bit awkward, almost discordant. That's a big factor. All right. Um, you know, I, I, the other factors I'm going to mention in a second are mental health related, but those are physical factors that typically rehabilitative interventions, uh, you know, physical interventions, thinking cognitive, uh, uh, what's called cognitive behavioral therapy can help some of those things. Better management of pain can have better outcomes. The other ones, which which are the world is aware of, but certainly need to be said very clearly are mental health burden, ongoing challenges with uh, uh, stress issues, with depressive issues, with substances, alcohol, most commonly, 
can be factors that prevent service members and veterans in optimizing their, their return to uh, full productivity. So, and again, those are hopeful areas because those are massive areas of research and we're seeing very good outcomes in several um, programs to get people back to activity. Now, back to work is not the same thing as just back is feeling better, but, but so, you know, that's what we've seen and that's what I want to really drive. I, I'm, I'm, f- I'm fond of electrophysiology and fluid biomarkers and imaging and, you know, and all those kind of, you know, um, measurement tests. But what I'm excited about is some intervention research and some things that, you know, even if it's not research, just getting, getting veterans the knowledge that, you know what, it's probably worth it to dive into that wellness program to improve your balance that people keep talking about or, or to my leadership it's probably important uh, to support funding to allow service members and veterans to get the kind of care that will, will optimize some of these problems. So that's kind of what I'm about. That actually brings me to my next question, uh, you know, and I'm not trying to be redundant here, but what do you foresee as future research opportunities based upon the findings that you, that you just discussed? Yeah, you know, the, the, the answer, the right answer is how do we bring all of the things that I've talked about and that are, you know, in a lot of these research papers we're talking about or, or on the or even on the internet, how do we bring them all together, right? How do we create, ready for this, a personalized medicine approach for people that have persistent difficulties after combat exposure? So that means taking what we see when we're looking in their eyes or imaging their brain or checking their fluids. And when they're, we're checking their balance and asking them questions about their sleep habits and their diets and their stress level, how do we take that information and say, I'm going to put it together, not separate. I'm going to bring it all together. One clinician, Char, not 12 specialists who don't even talk to each other and you know, all, all believe in different things. How do we bring it together in a way so that the veteran or service member and their families can say, okay, you are, you are now described Dave Seafew. This is what he is about. Here's his exposure, here's whatever it is. And now we're gonna tailor a treatment that, that hopefully we can study as well, but we can just implement, we can tailor that takes into account his background, his, you know, his challenges, his injuries, you know, rather than say, well, this works for a lot of people, we're gonna try it on you. Or I saw a commercial on the internet or on TV that looked good. They looked happy in a bathtub. So it must work. All right. So we're going to try it for you. So, so Char, the goal to me, the next step is take, you know, and using big data and using artificial intelligence and machine learning, all those cool billion, million dollar words and saying, we got a lot of info. Let's turn it into useful information and then let's make it applicable to the human being that's sitting across from me. That's the next big steps. And we're, we're, that's, what we're, that's what this podcast is hoping to launch, not this one, but this whole series is real bite-sized bits of info that take you know, all this great stuff and bring it, it through the funnel into what can help Char Gatlin, Ron Seal, Dave Seafew. All right, and that, that's, that's what my mission, that's what I think Limbic is all about. And it's a realistic goal. That's one of the challenges that we've seen in urban versus rural areas with respect to veterans and TBI, I think I hit on it while earlier indirectly, you know, TBI affects everyone in different ways, but TBI could also be a secondary injury behind a more primary life-threatening injury. So TBI maybe doesn't get the, the care that it needs at that, at that time. 
and you factor in socioeconomic issues, you know, physical geography, a long way from point A to point B, layman not really understanding it, family issues. I mean, all these determinants that we discussed earlier. But one of the things that we see is a lot of the medical systems, I don't want to say compete, but they have different standards of care when it comes to TBI. State does a little bit differently than a tribal entity. The tribal entity maybe does a little bit differently than a federal entity, et cetera. But one of the things that you mentioned would, would, would streamline that, and you would have a golden standard of care where you had an interdisciplinary look to it, and folks would talk. You know, as we all know that to, to treat TBI, you need to get on it as soon as possible. The longer it sits there and develops, the, the more problems that you'll have. How do you see this, this translating? I mean, you, you, you hit on it indirectly, and in a perfect world, this would happen. But do you see any impediments that, that could occur from getting it down to that level? And then sort of secondly, what do, you know, clinicians and researchers, you know, as, as individuals and as a collective unit need to take away from this? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm attempting to bring together, not just me, but our, our limbic team and, and, the, and my partners that I work with across the VA and the, and the military, we're attempting to, you know, come up with co a common language, a common approach, a common set of endpoints so that we can actually say, well, I know that you're looking at things, you know, you're looking at the, you know, the, 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 the parable of the blind man and the elephant. I know you're looking at a different part of this problem, but let's understand that we're all going to be, you know, uh, talking about the same challenges and you may need to address it in a different way in a service member as opposed to an athlete as opposed to an older adult. You know, they're all different. But 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 let's at least agree that there are some standards, you know, there's some standards. And the way you do that, the coin of the realm is by generating knowledge that is at least at some level either evidence-based, meaning there's some research behind it, or it's at least, you know, been vetted by by the field. So we can say, yes, we believe that this is important. This is a way to measure outcome. This is a way to improve pain. This is a way to decrease the acute effect. So we have to agree in a couple of these pillars, right? You know, as, 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 as big healthcare systems, sometimes even in the same city you describe, you know, there are different clinics that treat things differently, which is absurd. You know, that's one of the reasons why I promote that clinical practice guideline moments ago, it's at least a first step to say, let's let's agree across the VA and the DOD, if not in the academic and private sector, that there are some standard approaches. So, you know, to me, that's the only, that's how I've found that the big, you know, the, 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 um, the, 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 the players that are spanning the VA, the military, you know, CMS, uh, Medicare, Medicare, they at least need to say, well, you got to at least begin with some commonality. And some of that, you know, I'm, I'm a researcher, so I don't want to overdo the research thing, but at least there's agreement that this has some value and meaning. This is how we diagnose this thing called mild traumatic brain injury. This is how we follow it over time with these kind of evaluations. These are the groups of people that are best served in doing that. You know, what kind of clinician? And as, an, as a person, as a patient, what should I know? What should I be following? What's my app or wearable technology or book? You know, how do I know how I'm doing? Do I just look in a mirror or do I have some kind of breathing test or is there, you know, whatever it is. So, so I do think commonality is really important in speaking the same simple English language. And then, you know, they, that's the same answer to the second part. It, you know, you'd think it would be harder to get the big government people to work together. 
it's really actually harder to get the individual researchers and clinicians because they're like, well, it works for me. It must be good. I'm like, yeah, you're just seeing your spot and your you know, space, whether it be rural or in urban, whether you're using telehealth or doing stuff in person. You know, I'm like, it's it, that's what blows my mind. Like I can get, I work with, I work across the VA. I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a VA employee. I work with the military all the time. I can get people in the common room. We agree. We sign off on things. It's exciting. We write entire clinical practice guidelines. Then I will go into my home city of Richmond. I'll be at a meeting with different healthcare system leaders and, and physicians or researchers or, or, or therapists. And they're telling me, you know, black is white and white is black. I'm like, that is not possible. So it's kind of weird that you actually, it actually, I hate to, you know, I know this, this sounds very big government of me, but I think it's almost got to start top and come down while it's also grassrooting. I, it can't just because grassroots, you get a lot of distractions, you know, whether it's patients or clinicians, you know, so, so again, it's both. And one of the reasons that I'm so proud of Limbic as I know we're coming to a close here is we've been able to keep a core group of people. I mean, Char, you and I met in 2011 or 2012, and we've been working together, some of it banging heads, some of it holding hands, doesn't matter. You know, we've been really able to bring the same people along. So, you know, we've been able to demonstrate, you know, if these 50 or 60 or 70 researchers with 300 plus publications and 14 completed, if we can do this together and agree on a common pathway forward, and then now we can translate it in a common way, then maybe, just maybe, we can kind of move that rock because eventually people are like, well, you know, they're the largest consortium of researchers in the world in this area. Maybe they figured it out. We need to maintain our humility because nobody wants to be told the right way. We're going to welcome them under the tent or into the tent and kind of do it that way. So that's kind of where I see it going, Char, is, you know, it, it's not to me about just doing research. It's about now taking this momentum and this tsunami, tsunami of knowledge and, and findings and figuring out how to bathe the beaches of the world with knowledge. That was kind of nice. I just made that up. But, but really to kind of bathe folks lovingly in the salt, warm waters of knowledge translation. So and that's, you know, that's why case management is so, so important at a lower yeah. level. You know, in the Army or the military, rather, we used to call it combined arms. You got to know what's going on on your left yeah. and right. And you have to communicate with adjacent units. If you don't, you, know, you sort of lose the continuity and the, the, the overall combat effectiveness. But on a kind of a side note, you should get a job doing commercials. This is great. If, if we could pack that message right there and make it into a two-minute thing and disseminate it at the lowest level. I could probably go down to the local vet's office here at the university, play that, and I guarantee I would have 20 people signed up for you walking out the door because the way it was laid out, it was calm, it was fair, it was funny, it was engaging. And I think that's one of the big challenges that kind of go back to recruiting. And we don't need to revisit that right now. We're running a little on time. But to, to put that out there and make the veteran and their family understand that they're part of this, understand that we're here to help you and that you're going to help other people when you do it. And I think, you know, we all signed up. In fact, I, I say I think we know. We all signed up to serve and many of us still serve and serving in any kind of capacity. I mean, I think you hit it on earlier. Terms I used to use work, volunteer and go to school. You know, you got to do, do one of the three. And if you can achieve that, you're back into society and you're moving forward and you're more of a whole person and being a productive citizen. So 
Definitely my two Char, cents. But I love the messaging thing. I love it. Ron. Yeah, I was going to say you're reading my mind. So, Dave, for for our combat veterans who, uh, with all the great researchers we have on this project, we're still really dependent on the altru altruism of our combat veterans to participate in this longitudinal study. What is uh, how could uh, how could veterans go about uh, uh, joining this study? Where would they need to go? And and just uh, just briefly, what would be required of them to participate? Yeah, but rather than mess it up, which, you know, I'm, I'm probably about to do, but, but um, I'll make sure that linked with this podcast that we have, you know, the website link, but also the specific link on how to potentially uh, be part of one or more of our study programs. All right. So I'll make sure we do that. And essentially what we're, you know, I will, again, I'm going to try not to mess this up too badly. So please, please go to the website and the links provided. But really, our current ongoing longitudinal study, all right, it's called the Perspective Longitudinal Study, is one that is looking for uh, individuals that have served, that have had combat experience, combat exposure during any of the U.S. conflicts. So it's no longer just the, the, the conflicts from 2000 through 2021. It's, it's any error service member uh, that wishes to be, you know, uh, uh, potentially enrolled in our studies and and the value of the study is not only are you helping your 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 brothers in, in arms who are currently having challenges or in the future that are going to be part of it but also you'll get to be evaluated uh, by you know the best the best of the best using a standardized approach to see just how you're doing uh and you'll be given feedback on what was found it's not you know what we found a number of things that could be treated just as part of the research so that's a value of it but also then you're agreeing that you're gonna be uh, willing to be followed up either by telephone, virtually or in person for as long as the study continues for at least 2024, 20, hoping further, because the value is over time, how are you doing? So, so if you're interested in that, you can go to the website and the link that's gonna be linked, that's part of this podcast um, and see if there's a testing site near you we, have, we can also make arrangements as appropriate to have you traveled or to, to bring you to one of the sites and or to do it virtually. Most of the testing can be done virtually during the COVID challenges. We've, we've converted to some of that. There's some of it like the MRI of your brain or some of the fluid biomarkers that need to be done in person, but a lot of it can be done virtually. So we'll share that link on that information. And you know, the very least, come to our joint, come to our website that you'll see on the site and learn about it and see how you can contribute. Uh, additionally, you know, we're always looking for volunteers to help us on our consumer advisory board to, to, to help us spread the word. You know, so if you'd like to, we, we, we've never said no to someone who wants to kind of be of help and support the cause because it's, you know, it, it, it isn't about me. It isn't about Dr. Seal. It's a little bit about Char, but it's about you know, service members and veterans, you know, it's about getting help and advancement and knowledge and making things better for those that have served the country and that continue to serve the country. So I encourage you to, to volunteer and be a part of it. Uh, and thank you for watching this podcast. And the last thing I will say is that we actually are, are putting together a short video, sort of what I said, as part of that clinical practice guideline, kind of to kind of get people to say, you know what, this Brain injuries and combat-related issues and stress are real things, of course, but they're manageable things. And there's there are people that care about you, and there's there is resources being put behind this. And 
you know, let us help you and, 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 and or help us to help you and others. So, you know, be a part of this bigger mission that we're all on. Uh, so we are trying to create that. I don't know if I can, you know, channel myself twice, but maybe, maybe we'll get someone like Brad Pitt to pretend they're me and, and do the piece. We'll see how that works out. No, I think we, we've got it with you, you know, but, but to, to recap, I mean, positivity and productivity are key. And yes. that's what, that's what makes it better. So, Ladies and gentlemen, unfortunately, I think we've we've come to the end of our segment on this one. Uh, we would like to thank Dr. Sifu for his time and insight and messaging moving forward for our inaugural Veterans Outreach podcast. Dr. Sifu, do you have any last comments before we uh, before we move on for the day? Uh, the last thing I'll say is uh, I'm just so thankful to the to the folks that work with me across Limbic Sensi at all levels. Uh, you know, I, I certainly don't do this alone and I'm, I'm privileged to be uh, someone that helps to guide the process. And, and similarly, I wanna thank all the service members and veterans that both work as part of our team, uh, but also that are volunteered to be part of our research program and will in the future because you're the lifeblood of li literally and figuratively of what we're doing. And you're the ones who are gonna help us take this to the next level and to accomplish our mission. So I just want to be, I just want to, I'm extremely thankful uh, to, to everyone who's part of our, our research program. So I just want to uh, give that final shout out, but thanks for allowing me to do that. Happy to be, happy to be part of it. Uh, Ron, do you have any final, final thoughts? Yeah, I would just briefly echo Dave in that this, uh, a, a large national uh, project like this is the result of thousands and thousands of people working on it from the researchers to the staff to all of the uh, research participants and veterans that have volunteered to be in the study to the uh, to the oversight uh, individuals at, at the VA and the DOD. It's just thousands and thousands of people that that are or, that are all making this a great project. So I'm, I'm very thankful to everyone who's participated in this. Well, on behalf of the Rons, myself, and the rest of the, the team, podcast team, we really appreciate your time, Dr. Sifu. We look forward to seeing and, and working with you in the future. Thank you. Take care, everyone. Yes, sir. Have a great day. Thank you to Dr. David Sifu for joining Char Gatlin and Dr. Ron Seal today on the Abstract Doctors podcast special, the Abstract Veterans Series. For more information, please visit limbic-cenc.org. The Abstract Doctors is produced by The Abstract Athlete. For more information, please visit theabstractathlete.com. And as always, follow us on all of our social media platforms under The Abstract Doctors and The Abstract Athlete. The office is now closed, but join us for our next appointment soon.